and welcome to another UbuWeb Poetry Foundation podcast, all avant-garde, all the time. Extracts from the making of Americans. Repeating then is in everyone. In everyone, their being and their feeling and their way of realizing everything and everyone comes out of them in repeating. It's that voice of Gertrude Stein that is so inspiring to so many artists. It's not only the written work, but there's a rhythm and a musicality in her voice that has inspired many artists to do readings of her work and also do interpretations of her work. And Uberweb hosts a number of these works, and today we're going to do a little bit of a tour of works inspired by the voice and the writing of Gertrude Stein. I am writing for myself and strangers. This is the only way that I can do it. This is Marion Seldes reading Everybody Gertrude Stein in 1963. Everybody is like someone else, too, to me. No one of them that I know can want to know it. And so I write for myself and strangers. As you can hear, it's a very conventional reading of Gertrude Stein. It really no doesn't have the eccentricity of Stein herself. Instead, it's, well, it's very prim and it's very proper, but in 1963, you have to remember that Gertrude Stein was so unusual and the writing was so strange that for people to be able to hear it in any way, it had to be clothed in rather conventional manners. I write for myself and strangers. I do this for my own sake and for the sake of those who know I know it, that they look like other ones, that they are separate and yet always repeated. This is from an old LP, an old Folkways LP. There's two sides uh, of this. One is the uh, Making of Americans, and then she's also reading Gertrude Stein's uh, Lectures in America from 1935 on side B, which does some explaining about what Gertrude Stein was all about. So in 1963, it's all about making Gertrude Stein accessible for the world. I write for myself and strangers. No one who knows me can like it. At least they mostly do not like it. That everyone is a kind of men and women, and I see it. I love it, and I write it. Fast forward 45 years, and something else happens. Once Gertrude Stein has been absorbed into the culture, one doesn't need a prim and proper reading of Stein. One needs an interpretation of Stein. Once an angry man dragged his father along the ground through his own orchard. Stop, cried the groaning old man at last. Stop. I did not drag my father beyond this tree. There's something about the epic nature of Gertrude Stein that makes people want to do epic interpretations of her work. And uh, that was the case in 2008, where the young poet Gregory Lehner decided to read the entire The Making of Americans, the great big 900-page novel by Gertrude Stein, written between the years of 1903 and 1911. It has really seemed to me a rare privilege, this, of being an American, a real American, one whose tradition has taken scarcely 60 years to create. We need only realize our parents, remember our grandparents, and know ourselves, and our history is complete. Now, what we're listening to here is page one. This took Gregory Lehner many, many months to do, and he begins by doing a fairly conventional reading. Some of the fathers we must realize so that we can tell our story, really, were little boys then, 
and they came across the water with their parents, the grandparents we need only just remember. The text is numbing. It's repetitive. It's really boring. And so what happens by page 135 is that Mr. Lehner becomes interpretive and expressive, and he begins singing the making of Americans. And this mixture in them with the amount they have in them of their bottom kind of nature and then makes in each one a different being from the many millions away always being made like him. There are many kinds of men then, and there are always many millions made of each kind of them. And by page 878, after many months of reading The Making of Americans, he's absolutely delusional and has is, is, is just begun making up more and more songs. He was almost completely using this thing, understanding that thinking is existing. He was naturally almost completely using this thing, that thinking is existing. He was not completely using that thinking is existing. He was completely understanding that thinking is existing. He was completely clearly thinking. He was thinking of something. He was thinking of anything. He was thinking of everything. He was completely naturally. He was naturally and completely understanding that thinking is existing. By the end, and we're listening now to the last page, page 913, Lehner's returned to a more conventional reading of the making of Americans, but after having read it aloud and sung it and chanted it for over 900 pages, he's actually discovered the real rhythm that's embedded in the book. And I think the last page reading really represents probably the most true uh, feeling of the book, The Making of Americans. Now, this is one of those books that's on every graduate student's shelves, but is never opened or never read. So it's a work of conceptual literature in a way, and Greg Lehner actually realizes it into a rhythmic and musical and visceral interpretation. Some being living and being in a family, living and coming, then to be old ones, can come then to be dead ones. Anyone can be certain that some can remember such a thing. Any family living can be one being existing and some can remember something of some such thing. Moving to 1968, Gertrude Stein was becoming increasingly in fashion with the avant-garde and the Fluxus movement kind of bringing her to the center. We saw the publication, uh, the first American publication of The Making of Americans that was done by Something Else Press in the late 1960s. And uh, that book kind of just broke everything open for people. And what we're listening to here is a piece called Stein in Circles that was written by the composer and uh, minister at New York's Judson Memorial Church on Washington Square Park, Al Carmines. Judson Memorial Church was a a hotbed of avant-garde activity in the early 1960s. There was dance and there was music and all sorts of experimental poetry readings, and the composer and minister caught some of that fire. And his interpretation of a circular play, a play in circles, is from a collection of short texts that Stein published in 1920. And, of course, like most Steinian texts, it's infused with an obsession uh, for circular forms.
commended her. But I need not give her flowers. Them flowers. I need not give them flowers. I need not have given flowers to them. Dancing. In 1967, uh, Al Carmines took this off-Broadway to the Cherry Lane Theater, and it was actually very successful. These sort of uh, elliptical short text with a small ensemble and voices. And it harks back to the uh, wonderful collaboration that Gertrude Stein did with the composer Virgil Thompson called Four Saints in Three Acts an opera that was extremely successful for Gertrude Stein. So this is a little bit of nostalgia for that operatic piece and also very much embodying the free spirit of the Judson Church in the 1960s. Sing a song of sight. Circulating songs. How bright are Frank and Nellie? Very bright. How old is America? Very old. And blue flower? Not so at night. Not so very bitter at sight. Not so monstrous for the height. Not irregular at all. <sighs> the book that made Gertrude Stein a household name, well, somewhat of a household name anyway, uh, was the publication of her book called Geography and Plays, which was published in 1922. And it's a collection of her short and very provocative work that was written between the years of 1910 and 1920. Uh, With the publication of that book, Gertrude Stein was established as uh, the leading avant-garde figure in France, Britain, and to a lesser extent, the United States. In an ongoing celebration of the roughly 100th anniversary of the publication of Gertrude Stein's Geography and Plays, the Minnesota-based composer, poet, and sound artist Eric Belgum decided to commission a number of works from a number of composers and sound artists to do interpretations of pieces from Gertrude Stein's Geography and Plays. Belgum writes that the texts of Gertrude Stein's geography and plays have long eluded production. By their very nature, these texts seem almost unproducible for the stage, perhaps written more for a theater of the mind. And so, uh, this is a first attempt to set these to the audio medium. Almond trees in the hill. We saw them today. Dear Mrs. Steele, I like to ask you questions. Do you believe that it's necessary to worship individuality? We do, Mrs. Henry Watterson. Of course I have heard. Dear sir. Of course I have heard. They didn't leave the book. Yes, yes. This is uh, a piece by the Chicago-based composer John Wansell, and it's called For the Country Entirely, which is a sonic restaging of the Gertrude Stein short story of the same name. I like their names. Anthony Rosello. And you can hear how contemporary the Stein text sounds. It almost sounds like it's been cut up, chopped up, put back together again, and then restaged. But in fact, this is the way the text was actually written. Dear sir. A great many people ask me in misery. Have they come? Dear friends. Say what you have to say. Did he? I asked why. Tomorrow? Oh, yes, tomorrow. 
Every afternoon, a dialogue. What is it? This is a uh, interpretation of uh, a bunch of poems from Gertrude Stein's geography and plays done by fifth grade students from the Bella Vista Elementary School in California, led by their teacher, David Braden. This evening there was no questions of temptation. He was not the least interested. I get up. I get up. I can see that is not necessary for me to teach languages. I hope you do. Braden writes that young children respond readily to nursery rhymes and playground chants, and once these pre-adolescents were assured that there wasn't a meaning to get or a quiz to pass, they relaxed and enjoyed the interplay of the dialogue and the rhythm of the language. He goes on to say that although I'm not a Stein scholar, I believe she would have enjoyed and approved of these loud, soft, irreverent, ethnic, hip-hop-infused voices of her neighbors because uh, Gertrude Stein, of course, is from the Bay Area and the school is located in the neighborhood where Gertrude Stein grew up. Say it to me. Because we are very happy. Sweet, sweet. solo piece by David Braden, an interpretation of Stein's Susie Asado, an almost ambient and electronic treatment of Stein's work, and it shows her looping and her kind of repetition, but technologically taken to extremes. The way that sound can be looped by the computer today kind of ups the ante on Stein's own repetition. Helen Fur had quite a pleasant home. Mrs. Fur was quite a pleasant woman. Mr. Fur was quite a pleasant man. Helen Fur had quite a pleasant voice, a voice quite worth cultivating. She did not mind working. She worked to cultivate her voice. This is an uh, interpretation of Gertrude Stein's short story, Miss Fur and Miss Skeen, a lesbian love affair, rendered into computer voices by Warren Burt. She met Gertrude Stein there, who was cultivating her voice, which some thought was quite a pleasant one. Gertrude Stein was often accused of being robotic and mechanical, even though uh, she was very warm and very sensuous, this was a type of repetition that people weren't accustomed to in the early part of the century. They were together then and traveled to another place and stayed there and were gay there. Now, transposed to the computer voices that we're so accustomed to today, Gertrude Stein's text makes absolute sense. It's a sort of emotional flattening, freeing up the text to become self-sufficient. In other words, if you take the emotion out of Gertrude Stein's voice and presentation, like Gregory Lehner 
was so full of emotion and you level it flat, what you really get is sort of a true nature of the structure and the form of Gertrude Stein's repetitious texts. And this is the composer Robert Quillencamp and an interpretation of Gertrude Stein's piece called He Said It. And this was recorded live at the Ontological Theater in New York City as part of their Noise Festival in 2005. He said, he said it. it. Spoke. Spoken. In English. Always spoken. Between them. Why do you say yesterday is special? Why do you say by, by special appointment? Is it, is it a mistake? Is it a great mistake? This I know. What are, and beside all their desire for white handkerchiefs? You shall have it. This is what we could give. What is live is the broken clavichord and the sound of a tea kettle and everything else is computer-triggered samples. And what the computer-triggered samples do is that they make the voice chopped up and also stuttered in a way that Stein, of course, never stuttered. Her repetitions were circular and beautiful and mellifluous. And what happens here with the computer-triggered samples is that there's a sort of abrupt break and quick computer-based repetition on normal voices that actually takes the Steinian uh, tropes of repetition to a computer-inspired level. All about the swing. Swing where? You mean electricity? Yes, I mean electricity. We went down the town and met Mr. and Mrs. Somoyard. We drank something there and we said if they would wait, we would call for to them in a carriage. We had several things to attend to. Put on your earphones, tune on your set. Sit well back. Tune on your set. And finally, this is an interpretation of the very famous poem, Sacred Emily, from which comes A Rose is a Rose is a Rose. Interpreted by the multi-talented, multi-instrumental artist Ergo Fismes. This was recorded at the Invention Hotel in the Isle of Wight in 2005. I went to an old-fashioned ball last week. All the people there were supposed to dress in the style of the Victorian days. I complimented one lady on how she looked in the bustle. She got very annoyed. She said she wasn't wearing one. What he tries to do is he tries to give a... Uh, sense of the period in which Sacred Emily was written using samples of George Formby, Songs of British Birds, the Victoria Sylvester Ballroom Orchestra, the BBC Sounds of Death and Disaster, the Rhythms of Steam Railroads, and old-time music machines. He also includes Eddie Layton's The Mighty Wurlitzer. Behind me, at the perfect sight,
the trajectory of Gertrude Stein here on All Avant-Garde all the time, from the beginning of listening to her read The Making of Americans all the way up to 2005 with uh, rough computer samples and repetitious uh, uh, loops. Gertrude Stein moving from the margins of avant-garde culture really to being a center and inspiring figure for so many people, both for writers and sound artists. And we hope to give you just a little bit of a sense of her influence and her scope here of the recordings, not only by her, but the interpretation of her works available on UbuWeb at ubu.com. I'm Kenneth Goldsmith. Thanks for listening. This has been another in the series All Avant-Garde, All the Time, produced by the Poetry Foundation. (laughs) 